Oh, great. Well, like Kevin said, my name is Rogério Soares, and I'm the director for Athletes in Action in Brazil. Uh, Susan and I, we lead a group of other missionaries in Brazil. And what do we do? Guess what we do? We use sports. Sports has been a, a great tool for us, not only for us, but the local church as well. So we try to include and try to encourage the local churches to use sports to meet people in their community. And that's been happening all over uh, in, in the world. Um, Athletes in Action actually is in about 45 countries. And our goal as a global movement, we wanted to bring this movement to 65 countries by, the tw by 2025. And what do we do? We build movements of multiplying disciples everywhere in sports and through sports. So in sport, athletes, and through sports in the community. So sports has been a great tool, and uh, we, we wanted to also uh, reach every city in Brazil. And so we are introducing that tool to the local church. Today I'm bringing the second message of the season, finding Christmas in this, in this finding Christmas story in the Gospels. Our text today is Mark 1, 1 through 4. After studying it, uh, I came up with a, with a title. And the title is, The Good News, Making the Message Heard to All People. It's been a passion for me. It's been a burn in my heart to be able to preach to people the gospel. I enjoy doing that. And, and I know for sure God's calling me to do that. I want to ask a question, um, and, and you can just think about it. You don't have to answer loud. But do you have plans for Christmas, for this Christmas? I guess everyone has plans for Christmas. A lot of people are getting busy buying things, uh, preparing for the Christmas Eve. If you've been in Brazil for a while, you know what happens on the evening of 24th. The country lit up. It's parties everywhere. A lot of, lots of preparation for parties. Our hearts desire for peace, happiness, and forgiveness. Humanity longs for all those things. But many people don't know where to find them. In the world today, there's less desire to draw near to God. I don't know if you noticed that, but I've been around and less and less people are willing to learn or to hear about the Lord. No celebration, the Creator. Christmas is time for another season, only to celebrate, to party. It is much of self-celebration, commercial interested in parties rather than celebrate Jesus. As nations, we fall short of the glory of God. Less and less recognition of uh, the Son of God, the Savior. I hope this message will inspire you to prepare the way of the Lord this Christmas. My prayer is that the body of Christ will tell the story of Jesus over and over. Make Jesus known to as many people as possible. Be a herald to announce the King and the true Christmas story. In other words, Jesus' story. I have been around, like I said, I've been to Europe, I've been in recent to Africa and Latin America. 
And what I see is that less people know about the Lord. When I'm around and I ask teenagers, young adults, and I ask them, do you know Jesus Christ? And the answer is no. I don't know who that guy is. One kid said, I don't know who that guy is. So I take the opportunity to explain to them who it is, who Jesus is. And that's when then I proclaim the gospel to them. I don't need to go too far. In Sao Paulo here, I've encountered teenagers, and I ask them, do you know who Jesus is? And they don't know. One of the things that pleases the Lord is that we, in an act of obedience, we then proclaim the gospel. His love, His forgiveness, and His glory. If there are people around that don't know Jesus, the message of salvation, that means we as a church were falling short. The message of redemption, the forgiveness, the love, the judgment needs to be told to everyone. It is, a, it is a command from the Lord, our God. So Mark is going to tell us the story of Jesus and give us enough information so we can go out and tell others about Jesus. Tell the, the story of Jesus. Yes, we wanted to use Christmas to proclaim the good news. What a great opportunity when in a country like Brazil, for example, there are so many Catholics there's so many people that know God, the older, to present the gospel to the young and make him know. But let's get to know Mark a little bit. Mark, John Mark, as he's, um, he's known as Mark, he was a Christian scribe. Scribes were Jewish, uh, Jewish leaders in Jesus' time, and they were religious. They were educated in the scriptures and also in the law. Scribes are official recorders of writing legal documents. So we know Mark knew a bunch. He knew a lot of things. Mark was very close to the Apostle Peter. In fact, Mark was a great helper in his ministry. And later on, Mark is mentioned as the Apostle Peter's son. John Mark is the same guy that abandoned Paul and Barnabas in that first missionary journey. And I was looking at it, and some scholars suggest that maybe Mark went back to Jerusalem to help his mom, which she's probably in need. So that's why we shouldn't be fast to judge. Why did he leave the ministry? Well, wait a minute. What's happening here? Paul and Barnabas actually got in an argument after Mark left them, and Paul and Barnabas actually split into different directions. But later on, the Apostle Paul, he was fine with Mark and even recommended him to Timothy. He said, take Mark with you because he's a good helper. Paul also mentioned Mark as a fellow worker in Philemon chapter, uh, verse 24. Peter was Mark's mentor. So there is a great chance that Peter influenced the apostles to bring Mark back into the ministry. Mark is the author of this letter. Mark was in Rome when he wrote to the Roman believers and also non-believers. 
Also in that mix with Jewish people and Jewish non-believers, believers, it was a big mob there. Mark was Peter's disciple, an interpreter. Now, if he was in Rome and he was dealing with the Romans, Gentiles, Mark had to interpret the, the scriptures to them. He, he needed to read the scriptures to them because they couldn't read. They didn't know how to read. So why is marking, what was, why was Mark doing that? What is his motive? So the theme for his letter is that Mark wants to make sure that everyone knows who Jesus is. So if Mark was in, in our present time, he was being concerned about these kids that I asked who Jesus is. And he was like, oh, I'm going to tell you who he is. So in that time, Mark wanted to make sure people know who Jesus is. That's why he was there, and that's why he's writing this. So in writing in a fast-paced mode, Mark avoided the lengthy discourse of, uh, found in other Gospels. That's why Mark is a little different. Mark goes straight to the point. Also, avoid account of Jesus' ancestors and birth, beginning where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the wilderness. Mark begins his history of the Lord Jesus Christ drawn from his time with Peter. Remember, Peter was his mentor. Uh, Peter was, for Mark, a human resource, a great resource. But of course, God guided the Holy Spirit so that when he wrote, he wrote on the divine inspiration. So Peter gave so much insight, but still Mark was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Other men inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote about the Gospels. So Jesus himself didn't write any of the Gospels. Now that we know a little bit about Mark, let's jump into the text. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. There's so many good words here, but we'll focus first on the, on the first one that is very key for us to understand this whole plot. The key word in verse 1 is the word gospel. The word gospel, of course, is very familiar to us. So when we want to say the gospel of Luke, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of John, it's very familiar to us. But in the New Testament, the word gospel is never referred to one of the four books. There's another meaning. The word gospel in the New Testament refers to the message of salvation. I want you to look, please, in Mark 1.14, because even Jesus, he himself announced the good news. Uh, Mark 1.14. And we'll read 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus entered the Galilee, proclaiming the good news of, the, of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. 
the message of salvation. That's what he's saying. So now, how are we to understand, and then in the context in which Mark is writing, what is the usage of this word? How would the first century people view this importance? The Greek word, and I'm studying Greek, so I'm going to brag a little bit here. <laughs> but I don't know much. I'm still learning. I'm a, a new, uh, I'm, I'm a student. But the word Gilean is the word gospel. That appears in our English Bible. When we read gospel, the Greek word is eugelion. But what did the word eugelion mean to those who read or heard this book being read? It was a very familiar word for both Jews and Gentile in that group. They knew it. It's broad in its usage, but it's specific in its meaning. The word Eugelion means good news, joyous message, glad tidings. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for you, all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Luke 10, Luke 2, 10 and 11. The kids just sang here. Now, um, we see in the word, uh, this word here, Eugelion, as well as the Messiah, the Lord, our King. Those two words too are key for us to understand. As the Romans and the Jews were listening to, what is the good, what is the good news? A Savior is born. He is the Messiah, the Lord, in verse 11 of, John, of Luke 2, 10. To 10 and 11. But it had more technical usage, both in the minds of the Jews and Gentiles. And remember, Mark is writing from Rome. Roman Christians and Roman non-Christians are listening to him, as well as Jews. It is important then to consider how they uh, would understand this word. So that will help us to understand our day today. Let's see first what does the gospel mean to the Jews. Uh, what, does it, what does it connect to them? Well, it is used in the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. Septuagint. The Old Testament written originally in Hebrew, but there is a Greek version of it in which the word eugelium is the best translation of the Old Testament word. For that, we're going to go now to Isaiah chapter 40. Would you please go there? We're going to read a few verses. This is a very important chapter for us to understand and grasp because it looks forward for the Jew, for the Jewish people, it looked forward to the coming of Messiah. Remember, they were waiting for the one that was going to conquer, the one that was going to rule in the far distant future. It also looks forward in the near future for the children of Israel being released from captivity and going back to their land. So now, Isaiah chapter 40, 
verse 1 to 3. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, her punish punishment is over. It is time for restoration. Let's go to verse 9. Isaiah 40, verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Verse 9 says, get yourself up on a high mountain. And there's an announcement coming. There's an announcement coming. Find the highest point to make the announcement so you can be heard by most people. What is the announcement? You who bring good news to Zion. There is in the word, in the Septuagint, Eugilium, there is the word good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord will come with mighty, with arm ruling over him, before his reward with him, and his recompense before him. It is an announcement. The good news of the arrival of God. That is the usage here. And that's what the Jews understood. It refers to the ascent, ascent of God to rule. The Lord will come with mighty, with his arm ruling for him. When you're talking about a good news, you're talking about the best possible news. It is a message of salvation. It meant to the Jews so much. And, and I think today it meant a lot of, for a lot of people. It meant for us salvation. It meant that Jesus died on the cross in our behalf, right? Jesus died for us. Can you imagine being crucified, being on the cross, or do anything like that? Jesus paid for our sins. It should be the best news. Remember now, these are the people who are in captive. They're in captive. They are being told there is coming a restoration. The punishment is over. You are going back, and the Lord is going to ascend again into the, his throne, and he's going to rule over you. That is what Isaiah is saying. Let's think about today. Uh, the Babylonians kept Israel in captivity. The people desired freedom. They wanted to leave. How about people today? 
How do you see people and what kind of bondage are they? As you think of your neighborhood, maybe your city or your country, what are kind, what, what's, what's holding back? What, are the, where did, what is that that they want to get free from? Do you think the Lord can free these people? I want you to think about that because that's very important for us to understand. We have the message of salvation. We can't hold back. We need to announce. We need to proclaim. Especially, especially during Christmas time. We find a similar usage of this word in the same context in Isaiah 52. Verse 7, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That's again the word, Eukelim, the message of salvation. Who announces peace? Who brings news of happiness? Who announces salvation? And what is going to bring happiness and peace and salvation? Say to Zion, your God reigns. So while the word Gilead might have some broad meaning, it is technical meaning was described the, the very best news possible, which was the ascent of a new king. The ascent as a, a sovereign to his throne over his people to produce salvation, peace, and happiness. That is the way the Jews would view it, and that is the way it is used by Isaiah. The word has reference to the arrival of a king. The ascent of a king the Jewish uses. What about the pagans back in that time? What was the usage for them? How would the Romans understand that, that word? Since they didn't necessarily know the history of the uh, Jewish history, the Jewish people. There is an inscription from the Roman world, date 9 before uh, BC, before Christ, and this is what the scripture says. So here's what, how we are going to understand how the pagans and the Roman non-Christians non understood the word Elkilium. The providence which has ordered the whole of our life showing concern and zeal has ordained the most perfect consummation for human life by giving it to Augustus, by filling him with virt virtual for doing the work of a benefactor among men, and by sending him, as it were, a savior for us and those who come after us, to make war cease, to create order everywhere. The birthday of the god Augustus is the beginning for the word of the Eukilium, of the gospel that has come to man through him. Wow, what are they saying here? Caesar Augustus was the savior. So for the pagan, that was the guy. He was gonna rule and he did. He was gonna conquer. He did a bunch of stuff, 
And that's the usage Eugelian on that occasion in that inscription to describe the arrival of a Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is by the providence, it says, the one who will bring the work of a benefactor, the work of a savior, make war seas, create order everywhere. It is the arrival of a god. The, god. the good news, then, is that Augustus Caesar's has arrived. That's how the Roman pagans saw. And when they heard the, the Eugelium, that's what they had in mind. Caesar Augustus is our god. That actual inscription was dedicated to him, apparently, apparently on his birthday. And I looked up and I saw so many information about it. Then, as a technical term, again, to refer to the ascendancy of a triumphant of an emperor. So the Jew and the pagan, the pagans, would both see the word, that word as signifying the arrival of a new monarch. And that would signify the arrival of a new era. era. And the new era would be an era of order and peace and salvation and blessing. That's what they were longing for. That's what they were looking for, the Jewish and the pagans. So Mark chooses a word that spreads this across Jews and Gentile. And indeed, he's about to write the history of a new king. A new king, the good news is about to be told. At least, this is the beginning of the good news, as we read in the verse 1. The story is still being written. For the king has not fully taken his throne, which one day he will in an earthly way. And finally, in the new heaven and the new earth, as an eternal king, Mark will begin to tell the story of the arrival and the ascendancy and the establishment and the enthronement of the new king, who is far more glorious than all other kings. His name is Jesus. The Son of God, he is the new king. This is the story of Christmas in Mark. The new king who has arrived, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who has inaugurated his kingdom and bring a new era of salvation, blessing, peace, and order to the world. Christ is superior than any other gods. So Mark begins his historical account of the life of Jesus with a language. That would make him, that would make his Roman readers know that the new and most glorious king has come. And he sets himself against all other kings, including Caesar Augustus. He is the theme of, the, of, the, of, of his history. And this is only the beginning of his history. And that is, in, in, in what is, in what is the beginning of this history? What is his name? Jesus Christ. Jesus' human name, Jesus. Yeshua. In the Hebrew, Yehoshua basically means Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. That is his name, 
His name is Jesus. Mar uh, Matthew 121 introduces, he says, She'll give birth, Mary, to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. What about Christ? Christ is his title. That is not his name. That is not his last name. That is a title, a royal title, the anointing one. That is what Messiah means. Christ and Messiah are the same thing. It means anointing one. It's royal title. His human name, Jesus, is royal title, is Messiah, the anointing one. Simply, King. King Jesus. He is the Son of God, one in nature with God, co-eternal and co-equal. Now let's jump to chapter, uh, verse 2 through 4. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all used these prophecies to labor their bap uh, John the Baptist as the fulfillment of the prophecy. John the Baptist is the fulfillment of these prophecies in all four Gospels written indicating that. As, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, or preferably as it's been written, the new king is not, it's not a plan. Um, the new king is not an afterthought. This is a plan that God has working out in ancient times. The plan is one culminating in the arrival of the new king, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Gentile readers needed to know that the one who announced his arrival is the one prophesied by the ancient prophets and by the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. They knew it was official. It was divine. It was commissioned to herald the, the new king. And so he's the one being described in these prophecies. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, then you have a coat in verse 2 and a coat in verse 3. So verse 2 of um, Mark 1, 2 is actually Malachi 3, 1. And the verse 3 is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, we just read. So let's look at um, Malachi 3, 1. It says, verse 1, Malachi 3, verse 1, one uh, 3, verse 1. I'll send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord will, you are seeking, will come to this temple, the temple of the new, the, of the covenant. Whom desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. I'll send my messenger. And Malachi says, before me. Here you have an interpretation of that. I'll, uh, so when we read in chapter 
Mark 1, 2, as it is, um, I'll send my messenger ahead of you. And this is the interpretation here. I'll send my message, messenger ahead of me. You and your, uh, the two words, you and your, refers to the coming king, preparing the way of the king. But before the king comes ahead of him, who comes the messenger. So this is a prophecy that will be the one who comes before me, before the king comes. Whose job will be to prepare his way? And I, I, I stopped here and I was wondering, uh, whose job is to prepare the way? Wouldn't it be our job to prepare the way of the Lord? To tell people, to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness. Like all prophets, this is a messenger. He will make a strong call for the people. Prepare for the arrival of the new king. As it is direct reference to this messenger, this is a herald of the coming new king. Make the road ready for the new king. And this, of course, is here associated with the forerunner of Jesus, namely John the Baptist. Could it be us too? Yes. We can take that task as well. There was to come one who would herald the new king arrival, call people to prepare for his glorious ascend his throne in the establishment of his kingdom of salvation in blessing and peace. Call people to prepare for his glorious ascent. I, was, um, I know that in many many homes in Brazil, there is a big gathering on Christmas Eve. And some of these occasions are the best way for us to proclaim uh, the gospel, the message of salvation. Call people in, invite them in, so we can do, so we can call and proclaim. He is God, the Son, that is to say, He's co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal with God. The good news is that God has come. God, the, the God of the universe, has broken into history to provide salvation and blessing and peace in His name. King Jesus, Son of God, the new King is here. The kingdom is here. It's a new celebration for the whole world Salvation has come. This is the good news. In the Greek and Roman world, Eugelion was often used in the plural, meaning lots of good news. But there is only one good news, and that's what the New Testament is showing. No other salvation except in Christ. The new king is God come down to bring salvation, peace, order, and blessing. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, in the desert. He was a desert guy. In John 3.23, it, it kind of shows us that he was about 25 to 30 miles south 
of the Sea of Galilee. Along with Jordan River, up and down that river he went for. The duration of his ministry preaching out, it was in the desert. And again, I, th I thought of uh, how comfort my life is. And here's John in the desert. What is in the desert? Um, but he chose to do that. And we, uh, as a ministry, we've been praying for the Christian, the body of Christ, to respond to God's command as an act of obedience. To leave comfort and to go meet people and talk to them and ask the question, do you know who Jesus is? In this church, in this body, there's many opportunities and also um, uh, invitation for us to do that. Um, we should consider not only to go along with other Christians, but to also be a proclaimer, be announcing, a herald in our communities, in our neighborhood. Um, Jesus is calling us to a step up this Christmas time. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one that free us from captivity. And I know many people in this country and as I visit other countries they're bondage, they're in captivity, they're stuck. And who is going to tell them about the gospel, about the message of salvation? Preparing the way for the Lord, make a straight path for him. As we prepare for Christmas, or we prepare for anything else, are you considering Preparing, preparing the way of the Lord as well? Or is it just about me, us? John was faithful in his task. He prepared well the way of the Lord. It should inspire us. Now, it is time to reflect and act. What does the message of salvation mean to you? We just saw what it meant to Jews and Gentiles. Are you waiting for a conqueror, a king, a ruler? The one who brings salvation, like the pagans were waiting for Caesar Augustus to be the savior. Is that what you're waiting for? If you're here for the first time and are wondering where salvation is found, forgiveness, peace, eternal life, we're happy to say it is in Jesus Christ. Confess to him your sins and ask him to be your savior. Ask him, make my, my life new. Now I understand the message of salvation.
It's only found in you, Jesus. I confess to you. If you're here for the first time, I wish that I, I pray that you do open your heart for Jesus, that you come to him. He's the only one. He is uh, our savior. He is the savior of the world. He conquered, he proved, and God himself said, this is my son in whom I dwell. Would you consider opening your heart for Jesus? In all of us, would you act in an act of obedience to announce salvation in the new king in this season? Would you intentionally find ways to proclaim the gospel? Because we hear we're challenged, but we sometimes wait for the Lord to open a big door, maybe a wide door, maybe double door, and then we say, oh, God is maybe asking me to share the gospel. But John, he went. Mark was in Rome. We need to do something. Oftentimes when I'm doing the training for volunteers and how to share the gospel and so forth, I always ask them, how many people have you invited to come to church in the last six months? Not just not just a few would raise their hands and say, I did. Okay, so how many have you invited to come to church? 10, 20, 30? No, two. Good, one. Maybe another hand, one. Okay, so what does it tell us? People are away from the Lord. And we are not doing our job. <laughs> If we're not inviting people and they don't want to come, we need to find a way to meet them. And that's what we call the bridge of relevance, which is a meeting point, which the recreation and sports can bring to the ministry that we are serving. People are disarmed and they want to go have fun. If you ask someone to come to church, just a few, maybe none will come, right? How many have you invited to come to church in the last six months? Let me see. How many? How many have you invited to come to hear the gospel message? Anyone? In the last three months, in the last week. Okay, what is it telling us? We can't wait. There is a command. There is a need. We need to go. We need to meet him. John was in the desert in the sun. Maybe, uh, I mean, we read, in, uh, he wore uh, a leather belt around his waist and ate locust, locusts and wild honey. He was there. He wanted to bring the gospel, the good, the news of salvation the message of salvation to people. This is a challenge for us. How would you prepare for Christmas um, from now on? I hope that inspires you. Which of the Christmas stories are you telling other people in, prepare, in preparing the way? 
the Bible is full of great stories of the acts of God to the humanity. So Mark begins the language with the language of good news. Good news means there is a new king who is God himself bringing a new kingdom. It is the kingdom of forgiveness, blessing. It comes to those who repent. It's the culmination of all past. Redemptive history and the door to all future glory. The herald, the herald has come to announce his arrival. That is the Christmas story, Mark. And that is the story that God wants to everyone to hear. The new king has come. Let's bow our, head, our, our heads in prayer. Lord, thank you so much. It's so clear in your, in your word that you have good news to people. Maybe people are confused this Christmas and, and during Christmas time. They think that they are all sufficient, all powerful, like Caesar Augustus, claiming self being the savior of the world. But you, in your humanity, in your humbling, you yourself came and announced the good news. You told everyone to come to you and repent and believe. And I pray that our body, this body of Christ, will not be comfort, will not be silent, but will look for the highest place to proclaim the new kingdom, you, King Jesus. We thank you for this time. Thank you that we can prepare for the great event that's to come. A day where we can celebrate. It shouldn't be just that day. It should be every day. But help us to take advantage and help us to just be salt and light in this world. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.